Fringe Radio Network with Sarah Westall interviewing Jesse Chibartar. The title is Loyalty to the Illuminati System is Created and Maintained with Light. From October 2020. As Sarah's audio was not good, only Jesse's answers are provided. For those people that are really not wanting to understand the satanic side of reality, maybe you shouldn't be listening to this. For others, be strong. God's got our back. Jesse, thank you so much for rejoining the program. Yeah, good to be here, Sarah. You know, I had so many positive remarks and people are really happy that you're coming out and starting to educate us. I know that there has been a lot out there about the system, as you call it, but nothing at your level, nothing even close to, well, maybe close, I don't know, but not like what you're sharing. And so uh, it's really helping to put dots together. And um, so people are glad that I'm going to be meeting with you and doing more interviews. Yeah, um, I actually get that quite a bit, um, almost on a daily basis. People, you know, wanting proofs, wanting, you know, especially against the things, um, there's things that I'm taking federal right now. So I can't always give all the details about every single person I'm aware of who's involved at the top levels. Um, you know, so they do hit me hard with that, you know, saying, you know, oh, you're trying to, um, you know, you're operative, you're trying to deceive people, you're trying to keep us from certain information. Um, you know, I think people just be out there, listen to my stuff. Um, you know, I give every single piece of information that I can publicly. Um, if I can't, you know, I'm honest about that and, you know, tell why, if it's because it's federally or, you know, some of these things I can't bring out because these people could bring lawsuits right now. Um, you know, but I'm trying to put as many pieces out there as I can. Um you know, nobody does talk about these rituals or these things. And, you know, I don't know what else to say about that, that other than, you know, the information is there and I'm providing everything that I can. Um, you know, I've got good people who have worked with me for quite a long time. Um, I've had major prayer partners, um, but individuals like, you know, good dog, David Zublick, you know, all those people, um, you know, they've been working with me as I've been bringing things federally. So, you know, they've seen the documentation, they've seen the stuff and, and bore witness to, you know, that I really am turning in people who are at the highest level of this organization. You know, they've seen the death threats that I get um, on a regular basis. So, you know, you can always feel free to reach out and talk to those people and say, hey, is she the real deal? Or is this just, you know, a ploy? You know, I don't know what else to recommend, but I encourage people, you know, research it, look into me. Um, keep, you know, do your studying about that. So, yeah, um, actually, my training started when I was age four and a half. And then it continued until age 10. And I didn't, um, I did not participate because I refused to participate. So it wasn't that I was too little to be involved. Um, there was a heavy push by the Illuminati to get me to um, participate in the killings or in different um, nefarious things. Um, so, you know, I, I went through punishment. Um, I had a training partner who was the same age as me, who they were raising up to be my protector. Um, he also, you know, we're talking serious punishments here if we refused to participate. Um, so for each time I refused, I would witness somebody die in front of my face. Um, they would be graphically killed in front of me. 
So it wasn't, you know, I mean, this was a real fight. Like I had to, you know, knowing this was going to be the cost with every decision, um, you know, I had to take at a young age responsibility for every individual who died because I refused to take somebody else's life. Um, you know, and at age 10, um, really it was a miracle of God. There's no other way to explain it because you can talk to, you know, other survivors and, you know, when people try to get out or try to defect out of the system, um, the Illuminati will basically hunt you. They um, will come after you and try to pull you back in or they will hunt you and kill you or they will locate you and they will send individuals who will oppress and harass you to the extent that you end up committing suicide. So normally, you know, there is no way out for people and, and many survivors can speak of this. Um, You know, that's just the way it is. But the Lord literally with a mighty hand um, allowed me to still, you know, be in connection with these family members who were involved in this and they were not able to touch or harm me after age 10. And they were not able just to, um, you know, force me to do things that I didn't want to do. Um, you know, I found out there were some incidences where after that age, they did drug me and had me at certain, um, especially at Masonic rituals, where um, some of the individuals they had me connected to were taking vows. Um, so they had me at those events, but they weren't able to make me actively participate in them. Um, so, you know, and I was specifically trained for the end time rituals. Um, so the last one was April 24th of this year. And um, I had government individuals who literally had eyes on for 72 hour period. And they were, you know, would call and check in. Um, they were monitoring through satellite to make sure that like I was really at my house and, you know, the calls were to make sure that I was really mentally present and that these individuals were not taking me through the spirit world to participate in those end time rituals. So that's some of the stuff that I've had to deal with, with these Illuminati people. Yeah, the healing the healing did not necessarily happen after um, the healing happened as I went through those things. Um, you know, other people who were involved, they were allowed to um, disassociate. They were allowed to um, self-medicate, whether that was through alcohol or drugs or, you know, even things that drugs that would sedate you. So you, you know, would be tired and sleepy and just not thinking about things. Um, Sometimes they would wipe memories for people, things like that. Um, I wasn't afforded any of those things because of my position. My, My job was to learn how the program worked, to know positions and how to be able to test the spiritual gifts of people and put them in those positions so the system would continue to run. So, you know, I had to be very alert, very aware. Um, The majority of my time and training was spent reciting word for word everything that I saw or heard, Um, you know. And so with that, you know, my, my grace through those really tough times was my relationship with the Lord. I had come to know the Lord at age three and um, before that at age two, I had a nursery school teacher who really was an amazing woman. Um, She read to me straight, straight from the Bible and she would sing to me the old hymns and other Bible songs. 
And those things became my, my weapons while I was there. Um, you know, so, so like when I saw these murders, like the Lord would, would bring his word to me, you know, that as I'm looking at people, the Lord would say to me, you know, don't turn your eyes away from your own flesh and blood. And, you know, I would, I would watch those people and I would feel, you know, deeply feel that pain, that hurt, that suffering. Um, you know, I would hear their cries for mercy and those things I'd be lifting up in prayer to the Lord saying, you know, God, you have to get them out. You have to get us all out. And so, you know, that, that cry became, you know, the driving passion for me that it was never just about just me getting out. Um, my prayer was that God would get everyone out who was suffering in the system. Um, I saw, you know, the true enemy really was Satan and, and the demons, um, you know, and he had a way of forcing people to, you know, I guess I called it melding their wills to what he desired. Um, you know, I would watch as people struggled, you know, between the evil that he wanted them to do and that they really didn't want to do it. You know, I'd watch those struggles and I'd also watch as they give in to those struggles. Um, and, and that would break my heart more than anything because, you know, so many moments of almost that they almost turned away. They almost didn't kill, you know, that child in a ritual or, cannibalize them or whatever it was there were so many moments of almost and then you would watch as they just gave in and stopped fighting and um you know i just i fully believed even from a young age that that there had to be more there had to be a way out for everyone there had to be a way to stop it and so the a lot of those things you know the the desire to to help others really was what got me through. And instead of focusing on myself or what I was going through, it was always about them. You know, what are they experiencing? And I have to be strong um, because otherwise, you know, nobody's going to hear about this. Nobody's, you know, basically I have to be strong and I have to tell. Um, you know, I paid a great price for every single time I tried to tell about the stuff that was going on, but I, you know, I was determined that I wasn't going to be silenced, that I would bring it forward. So of the people that are struggling in the system, are there some that completely embrace it and they're gone forever? And are there others that are still fighting? Yes, sir. There are individuals who completely embrace it. Um, at the core their you know, their hearts are just wicked beyond wicked. Um, and then there's others who, you know, they want a way out. They want to get out, but they just lack the, the strength, um, you know, to do so. So, you know, I've heard over and over from some of those people you know, where they get upset at others because, you know, people will, they'll hear comments. People will say things like, you know, you're going to hell or these people are going to hell. They're so evil. They're so wicked. And, and they'll tell me, I know that I know how evil I am. I know how wicked I am. You know, I don't need other people to tell me that, but I'm beyond the point of God loving me. Oh, okay. And so they embrace that lie that there's no hope of redemption. There's, you know, they, they believe that they're beyond turning around and making that change. And so they don't fight against the system. The majority of what we're dealing with are, this is an age old system, you know, that has, it goes all the way back to, you know, the, the biblical time of Abraham, even before that, um, and so these people have, you know, the Illuminati hierarchy, 
the majority of the individuals who are there have been born into the system. So just like me, you know, their abuse began at a very, very young age, like around a lot of them, even before age two. Um, So they abuse these children in the womb. They abuse them when they're infants. Um, They start grooming them at that age as well. So that, you know, they'll keep proper posture. Um, You know, one of the things that I witnessed um, and hopefully this, I'll just give a graphic warning here. I won't go into too many details, but um, one of the things that they do with infants to sexually groom them is that, you know, they will just have them somewhere. Like I observed it, it was, they had them on the changing table and they would insert different things into their private parts. And the whole time they'd be keeping the baby quiet um, so that the baby gets used to stuff being inserted and it becomes then a normal thing for them. Like they learn to not react negatively, not to cry or fight it. They just lay there and, and, you know, accept this. So you've got all these different type of things that are very similar, you know, um, for me, I spent at least, you know, a good chunk of, of the day in a, in our bit locked in our basement every day. Um, or, you know, when we were at the training centers, it would be locked in a certain dark room. Um, they make it seem like this is a normal part of life, you know, (laughs) that you have a regiment, you know? So, um, you know, every day I would look like I was heading to school, but then, you know, would be transported from there to the training center. And, you know, I had my combat training. I had my, you know, memorization of the black magic books. I, um, you know, had the interactions with my other teachers who, um, you know, we even went through etiquette classes. That was part of our training was etiquette. And then at night, you know, I'd have more combat training. I'd have meetings with Satan and his generals. Um, that was, it, it was all taught to be that that was the regular routine, you know, and we didn't veer from that. You know, that was my strict regiment from age four and a half until 10. No, there were groups. Um, primarily, it was me and my training partner. And then depending on... Um, you know, I hate to call these different uh, training sessions classes, but that's almost what it was like. So when we were working on the government experiments or projects, um, I was in a core group of um, five boys for that. And then one of those projects, there was just three of us. So me and two other boys. Um, But, you know, for the majority of like rituals and other things, um, when I'd have that core group of, you know, it was me and four other boys. And then we did have, I will say there was this random 20 children. <laughs> like I never, I never even knew their names. Um, but every time we were at the bigger events where there were um, other people, these random 20 children would be there. And I think that was so that, people couldn't figure out who the successor was or who the protector protector was. Um, So I think they did that to protect our identities. So me and the other mother of darkness successors and then their protectors as well. So 10 of us um, all together were highly um, protected and, um, you know, had very, um, implicated jobs in the position position we were in. And that was not the case at all. I'll, I'll, let me share a couple stories here. Um, Michael Karkok was uh, the Ukrainian Legion of Defense leader who um, had been part of the Nazi army. He was brought over in Project Paperclip. Um, 
he was our combat trainer, first of all, but then also was connected to the experiments uh, with the government that me and my protector were involved in. Um, he also was the individual who, um, after they, they killed my protector's family, and so he became the man who we knew him as my protector's grandfather. Um, so, you know, every day we'd be, you know, in these sessions and literally this man, you know, there was no holding back just because we were kids. Um, literally, he would be beating the crap out of us and it would be two of us trying to fight him together. Um, but that was how he taught us, you know, how to fight. And, um, but there was an incident, you know, this was probably um, about two years into our training. And my protector used to sneak in my house at night. He knew that um, my proctor uh, was getting out of control and she had attempted several times to kill me. And so he would kind of be present hiding in my room so that if I, you know, needed him, he would be there. And um, at that time, Carcock did not know that he was doing that. So anyway, one night, um, you know, I'd got into bed after training and my proctor had put a needle with a uh, a sedative, a paralyzing drug on it. So I had, you know, gotten bed, hit my toe on this needle. And next thing I know, like I cannot move at all. Um, and, you know, I'm just kind of like frozen. And then he heard her coming and hit under the bed and she grabbed me out of the bed. She had filled up the bathtub with water and she threw me into the tub and started drowning me. Um, my protector was very smart. He knew that he couldn't take her on and save me at the same time. So he actually ran the block home and, and got car cock. And so, you know, next thing I know, um, I, you know, I'm, feeling somebody beat me on the back of my chest and I'm coughing up water. And I, I just hear my, you know, partner saying over and over, breathe, breathe, come on, breathe. And, you know, I woke up just coughing up all this water and Carcock had literally resuscitated me and, um, you know, had, had intervened in that situation. Um, so, you know, I owe that man, you know, he didn't have to do that. Um, yet he, he saved my life. And after that, he kept the secret that my training partner would come over at night and he never revealed that to anybody. Um, so he then allowed that to happen, which, you know, would have been a death sentence at that time if anybody found out that he had done either of those things. Um, I don't know what he did to my proctor, but he put her to bed that night and it was like, she never remembered that that incident ever happened. So, um, wow. you know, he, he did something there. Um, you know, the next day it was like, you know, she had no memory <laughs> of it at all. And, um, you know, so Another one, you know, was was Lori Cabot Kent. She was my main um, instructor in the different um, apothecary and herbology and um, black magic spells and th things like that, like the um, Book of the the Dead and the different um, uh, different sacred books that they go through. Um, but she, you know. Well, one time uh, we were with the, some of the Royals and I had one of them, um, well, Prince Philip had come by and, and was very, very angry because, you know, in between sessions, like we would be allowed to go outside, but we really couldn't do anything. So 
I was used to just sitting in the grass and I love dandelions and I would, I would, you know, pick them and play with the dandelions. And he got mad that I was out there picking the dandelions out of the grass. And um, so, you know, this eventually became such a big deal that he literally had a, a meeting, like he brought it before the satanic council oh, Um that he did not want me picking dandelions, you know. So. That's as trivial as it gets, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so that's how upsetting this was. But anyway, um, so he was, you know, he came by and was yelling at me and, you know, stop picking the damn dandelions. And, you know, that's not what you're supposed to do. Just sit there and, you know, be quiet and all this stuff. And I just said, but I like them. <laughs> And so um, eventually he got mad and he walked away. And then Lori Cabot Kent came walking and she didn't look directly at me. Like she was kind of standing sideways and looking forward. And she said to me, you know, um, if they're, if they are only weeds, then how come they look so beautiful dancing in the sunlight? And that was kind of her way of consoling and saying, Lori had a love for nature and a love for, she really got to know the people who were her students. And so that was one of the things with her is that she would, she would draw out your, your uniqueness in whatever she was teaching you. And so that was one of the things that she, you know, had really seen in me was that I had this love for the things that, you know, other people did not love that other people would, you know, just throw away or toss away or see as weeds, you know, and, and her thing was that, you know, if you see it as beautiful, then it is beautiful. And so she would, you know, that was one of her things. And, um, you know, there were times that she would step in um, one of the mother's um, who also was one of my trainers in the darker black magic. Um, there were moments where Lori would step in and fight with her. Um, and Lori would stand with me in what, you know, in what I was fighting with that mother about. Um, so she would, you know, like you just didn't do that. If you were a grand high priestess, you know, the mothers were, your boss, you know, your supervisor. So you just, you just didn't do that. Um, there would be consequences when you did things like that. Yet, um, you know, she would, she would take that risk um, to help me or protect me at moments. Um, so, you know, I can't say that in, in my experience, you know, they, they weren't all bad. So that's, that's part of the hard part, you know, of part of what I went through was that I saw the extreme good in these people. And yet I also saw the extreme evil and wickedness and they're just really, I don't even know how to reconcile or console that, you know, because one part of my heart longs for that, that justice and vindication uh, for the wrongs that I saw happen or for the crimes that these people did against me and against others. And the other part of my heart just continuously cries out for their mercy because I saw the, the good. I saw that they didn't want to partake in this. Um, you know, I saw them wrestling in their struggles. And I also saw when they got punished, when they tried to do what was good, you know, so it's a hard place to be in. Um, you know, that's probably been one of my greatest hardships in bringing the information forward that I have, because, you know, there's that part of my heart that loves these people at the same time. I can honestly say I hate them, you know, and having to turn them in, you know, turning in all of their dirty stuff, um, you know, that it is a struggle at times, you know, many of these people have been coming, um, have been sharing what they know and, um, giving the help that's needed to bring the system down. 
And the sad part, you know, to me is that although, you know, it is deserved, they, they still have to suffer those ultimate consequences. Um, you know, but, but they are, you know, and that's important for people to know that there are, are individuals who are taking the full responsibility for their evil and wickedness. And they, you know, part of that responsibility is revealing the truth and um, using their knowledge to stop what has been happening to children. You have other interviews with great people with details that I want to link to. So they will go and watch those. Some of those like with good dog is like three hours long. Can you talk about some of these other interviews that you have? There's no reason for me to go in detail with all this stuff when you've already done that with great people. So can you talk about what you've done and you've brought forward so that we can make, I'll make links and make that available for people. And then we can move on to a couple other things. No, that sounds a great way to do that. So um, we'll start with Good Dog. Um, with Good Dog, all of the videos that I've done with him are evidential videos. Um, they're extremely long, and, and I apologize for that. But at the same time, um, the length is, is necessary because as we're doing the video, all of the evidence is literally put right into the video. Um, so you've got everything there, um, documented, proved. Um, so, uh, yeah, I definitely will send links. So some of the people that with him, we've focused on, um, really bringing out how the system was working and operating and how it connects to some of the current day things, especially child trafficking, and the nefarious deeds within the political realm. So one of the first things we tackled um, was this Nazi connection. Um, like I mentioned, you know, my main um, individual that I was connected to was Michael Carcock. Um, he served in the Nazi army and um, his family really fought um, the U.S. government when Poland wanted to, ex when they found out he was still alive, they wanted to extradite him for war crimes. And his family fought to keep it, basically saying that he was not a Nazi at all, had never served in the army. Um, you know, on Good Dog Show, besides my personal testimony of working with Michael Carcock from, you know, 1981 to 1984, um, we bring out, you know, the pictures um, showing Karkok in military uniform with Hitler. Um, we show the papers of him coming through um, the military base at Frankfurt into the U.S. Um, so those things are all there documented showing that indeed, you know, he was, um, was a Nazi. Um, he also was the Ukrainian Legion of Defense leader. So with that, had strong ties to Ukraine and really was part of setting up the Ukrainian child trafficking that was happening through the, the United States Embassy in Washington. Um, so he was connected with that. Um, as a child, you know, two of my other teachers were... John Brennan and Michael Aquino. And um, I, you know, had just learned from a young age that Carcock had been their teacher, their instructor. Um, so I was aware of that connection. Um, so, you know, Good Dog and I go into um, some of these things with Brennan and Aquino. And the main thing with them I bring out um, was that they, you know, force me to, because of my spiritual gifts, to participate in PSYOP operations um, that were hidden under multiple project names. Um, so some of those projects were... Yeah, give us an example of some yeah. of the PSYOPs that you've worked on. Yeah, so um, Looking Glass was the first one that they have um, a start in, and then it went to Star Wars Now. And all of these were under... Um, 
Project Stargate. Um, so after Star Wars Now, we went to the Voice of God project. I now have found that that had other names. So sometimes it was called Project Sunstreak. And then um, other times it was connected to Project Flame Grill. And those were also under Projects um, Phoenix. And then there was an umbrella project over all those that was called Aerodynamic. Um, and that was the main, like Carcock was connected to Aerodynamic. So um, those were some of the projects. And, um, you know, they, they're all types of PSYOPs. So they use... Um, like I don't, I don't call it telepathy or ESP or things like that. I mean, these were what we really was happening. You know, was we were interacting in the spirit world. Um, some of these individuals, or let me put it this way, everybody involved in these experiments were considered remote viewers by the military, but there was different kinds of remote viewing. So like Area 51, anybody connected to that military base is a remote viewer who their spirit can leave their body and they can travel outside of their body in the spirit world. Um, I was not one of those type of individuals. Um, the type of viewing that I could see was, it was almost comparable to a vision or a dream. So I could be physically, you know, I'd be physically in one place but I could clearly be seeing another place as if I was there as well. Um, you know, so I would kind of be, I don't want to say two places at once, but my body and spirit never separated. Um, and the majority of the kids that were in these projects with me, there was uh, five of us together. Um, we all were that second type of remote viewers. Um, so we had a two, I've named, there were two Rothschild children who were involved in those. And then um, somebody who is working in her government, but I just call him E. Um, he is a very public pe figure that a lot of people would know if I said his name. Um, but those three and then my training partner were the main kids in those experiments with me. And you can't say his name yet because you're not ready to go forward with it because the information has to come out and the timing's not right. Is that correct? Well, it's more of that he has not brought that information forward yet. Um, so there's some implications there that there could be lawsuits or um, there could be hindrances in putting the information forward. So what I do do is I share you know, the stories, the things I remember, and I include him in there without saying his name so that when things are fully revealed or brought forward, um, people would be like, oh, okay, this was him and this was what he went through and this was his involvement. <laughs> so that's kind of how I've been trying to approach some of those things. Okay. And was he more of a victim or was he, is he now very active? I would classify that he was more of a, a victim. Um, there was some participation in things on his end. Um, and I don't believe that there's strong active participation now. Um, I have seen him working with the people trying to bring things um an end and you know with the system so I do believe that he is working with the government on those things okay well that's excellent okay is there anything else that would help people understand you have a lot of names here and um, I would like to you know what people get a good idea with these interviews that you've done um, it's just absolutely incredible and because people that are wanting facts they want proof they will get it in these interviews and so that's what I want people to understand yeah, and not just the good dog interviews. So we also have the David Zublik ones. So those tend to be more topical. Um, so we have, you know, an interview on Gloria Vanderbilt. Um, so that one addresses, you know, um, the experiences that I had with her and her sons. 
and then we have another one on adrenochrome. So that one um, goes even more into John Brennan and Michael Aquino's, um, you know, the crimes against children and how they use adrenochrome in these experiments um, and how they procured it, things like that. Um, you know, I've got one on the Nephilim, so it then gets into, um, we talk about Brennan and the breeding programs and the genetic tests that he does and experimentation that he does on humans. Does he still run the breeding programs or are there multiple people that run these breeding programs? Um, there may be multiple, but as far as I understand, he's the one who oversees the running of them. Are they genetically modified with, you know, like people think they're doing hybrid. Um, well, people say it's an alien human hybrid thing, but you say it's not. Right. Um, there's different, there's different types of breeding programs. So some of them, you know, there's not any experiments or uh, genetic mutations that happen. Um, they simply are, are breeding to get babies for sacrifice or um, to sell on the market as food. Um, and then you've got the other ones where there are the experimentations. And so, you know, they would do surgeries while an infant was in the womb. They would remove things like removing the infant's nose and um, surgically putting on a pig's nose so that by the time the child was born, you know, they'd be born with this pig nose. Um, so, so sad. yeah, they would do all sorts of, I mean, much worse, you know, it's definitely going to come out that there are things that are far worse that they have done. Um, Anything they can do, they've done just to see what it's like. Yeah. Yeah. Basically anything they could think of, they they attempted to do whether it meant the loss of life or not you know they they attempted it so why were they breeding children for food babies for food when we can breed animals for food or do they not distinguish the difference no they definitely distinguish the difference um you know that's that's just part of what satan and the high demonic generals demand um, is human flesh and blood. So, um, you know, the greatest way to do this is to find a way to feed it to the masses because that's what appeases Satan and the demons. Um, so yeah, good dogs show, uh, the show that we really got in depth on that subject was, was called supply and chain. And Good Dog is working on trying to get that video where he can even put it onto any platform right now. Um, currently, that video has been banned from all platforms. Including BitChute, including the independents. Correct, yeah. So we are really trying to work to get that up and out. How about Bright On? Have you tried Bright On? I'm not. He's the one who's uh, putting it up on places, so I'll have to okay. him and see. That's fair. That's fair. Now you have some information. Are you done with it? Do you want to talk more about that? Or do you think we can move on? to? Sure. Um, well, I could talk about the few other. So um, yes, the other two major places where information is going out right now um, is with, I've got a podcast with right on radio. And so on there, um, again, you're going to get a wide variety of topics, but we also are pulling up, starting to bring on guests and other survivors who are sharing things that are um, similar to what I've been through. So we're sh trying to show that I'm not the only person who's experienced these things. Well, that's good, actually. It probably helps. It helps in so many different ways. Probably yeah, helps you, and, too. And that one, you're going to get more to of the political standpoints on some of the things. So one of the biggest cases we brought forward um, was the case of Jonah Reeve, who the Illuminati kidnapped. Literally, um, we've got politicians right now, um, Kamala Harris, 
was very big in, in his kidnapping and the selling of him um, through the judicial system. Um, you also had Senator John Kerry and you had Barack Obama. Can you expand a little bit on Kamala Harris? Because it's such an important thing right now, right before the election, for people to understand her specific involvement. They can go and, and dig and look at all the other people, but can you, can you expand a little bit on Harris's involvement? Because that's pretty critical. Yeah, um, and I'll definitely, I'll show you, or I'll send you the links to those two shows where we talk about that because we really... Um, put it all out there in those shows. Um, But basically um, through the judicial system, we had this mother that, you know, basically the courts and the CPS, um, they had summoned her to court. She had never done anything, but got this subpoena. So she had to appear. And Um, From there, CPS and these Illuminati people kidnapped her child. And how they did it was that um, when they summoned her, they brought her into divorce court, but she was unaware of that. Um, She wasn't married, right? I mean, she was single. Correct. She, she She was not married. So they brought her into family divorce court. Um, The person he was... Um, you know, he was in guys, he was connected with social workers. And so she was thinking it was CPS and these social workers fighting for her son. Um, Really, he was an Illuminati handler. And um, he claimed that he was the father. They never did a paternity test at all. And the court uh, basically gave full custody of this child to this man, not just once, but three times. And after the first time, um, they had physical evidence that he had, him and others had sexually abused the child and the court still gave him custody. And she was denying that she even knew the guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. She was like, I I don't even, you know, I have no connection to this man at all. And definitely I've never you know, I don't have a child with him. Um, so anyway, then it progressed where she was fighting at a you know, at a state um, and federal level for the custody of her son. That's where uh, Senator Kerry and Kamala got involved. Um, they had no legal jurisdiction um, over this child. You know, the original court case was out of you know, Alabama, and they ended up pulling it into California court system. Um, And so all these people who had no jurisdiction even over this family um, were taking control of this case. Um, Senator Kerry literally signed the passport that the handlers had made that stated that this boy Jonah... um, was a citizen of no country. Oh, <laughs> so, so Carrie literally signed that he was not a citizen of any country and yet he was an American citizen. Um, and then the mother had brought all of the documents and things to Kamala had sent them to her. Um, they have documented proof that Kamala received all of those documents Yet Kamala tried to hide that she received them and said she didn't. And her name is actually on the black market adoption paperwork. Um, She literally signed the adoption paperwork. And you're like, why in the world is an attorney general signing adoption paperwork for a case that isn't even in her district or her country, you know, her state. Number one, she shouldn't even be signing the paperwork. But number two, why is she signing black market paper adoption work anyway? Um, So that was part of her involvement. And then there's more that we're going to be bringing out the next couple weeks because Kamala just didn't stop there 
where she just simply signed documents. Um, she literally has um, sent out people uh, to try to assassinate this mother or take her out to keep her quiet. Um, so that's some of the stuff that we're going to be bringing out. Um, this mother for eight years since this has happened um, has had to be off grid and underground hiding every day of her life just to stay alive. Why did they care so much about this particular kid? I mean, there's so many kids. Why this one? Um, he has very high spiritual gifts. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to say the position he was chosen for, but um, he's a child that was chosen for a very high position in within the occult system. So that is why they have gone to all extents to, um, you know, to keep this child in the system. And um, yeah, those, those two things. Yeah. Okay. So I've done shows with, um, with Jim Rostein, Jimmy Boots, and we talked about he, human compromise and blackmail and how the majority of the people in Congress are blackmailed. Is that, you know, how many are in this system and how many just have to be blackmailed to control them? There, there are millions world, worldwide um, who are in the system. Um, when I was a child, you know, just in my community in Chicago, um, you know, I would say a good six out of every 10 people I knew were involved. Um, the other four out of every 10, you know, were grays. I, I didn't know if they were or if they weren't, and I couldn't trust them. Um, the system, you know, there's several ways that they have worked the control. Um, first, a lot of individuals who are at these higher levels, um, they've been born into this. So they've been basically controlled and programmed since they were little. Um, you know, beyond the, the ways that they groom them for that control, the, these individuals are also programmed. So, you know, they're one way by day, another way by night. They have complete cover lives that in their cover lives, they look absolutely perfect. You wouldn't be able to find anything that would link them to the system at all. If you were to meet my proctor, you would just see her as this devout um, Catholic woman, very involved with her family. Um, you know, nobody would guess anything nefarious about her at all. Um, and so, you know, that's how the majority of these people are. They're, they're seen, you know, by their cover lives, um, you know, so you can look at a lot of individuals, um, a lot of the Hollywood stars, even, um, they're admired by so many people. They all have humanitarian efforts. They look like they really invest in programs for children or foundations for children or children's hospitals. Um, the Masonic lodges, uh, like the Shriners, they're very invested in children's hospitals. Um, so you see these people involved with all of these good things. And so that really, you know, throws people off. They can't imagine that there could be anything evil or nefarious that these people do. It does point to the, to the fact that these people know it's wrong and they have to fake who they are more it's more so the programming uh than them faking their identities um it's almost like an on off switch literally you know they'll be living their cover life and that's consciously what they know and then things will happen you know like they'll go to bed and it's a ritual night and they will just you know the system will summon them they will show up for ritual partake in things. And then the next morning they're back in their beds and they wake up and have no memory, conscious memory of anything that they've done or been a part of. So that's some of it. And then where the blackmail comes in is, you know, the system has that you have to do quotas. Um, 
again, most of those quotas are fulfilled when you're in that um, unconscious mode. So you're just, you're doing things because you know you have to, but they're not necessarily consciously aware that they're doing them. Um, And so the system, you know, it's not like you can just say that you did something evil and there's a whole bunch of, the quota system is pretty vast. Like it literally is like a list of all these evil things and you're required to do so many daily. And um, if you don't, there's punishments. Um, As you get involved with these quota things that, you know, year after year, they intensify. So, you know, it goes from, you know, like, let's just take, like, if you, wanted to harass people or Christians, you know, it it would go from, you know, you verbally harassing someone to then you're putting spells or hexes around their property to then, you know, it could be that you get physical or you're threat sending death threats and intimidating that way, or astral projecting into their house and making them fearful to where you're, you know, um, sending spells or magic that's going to cause that person to have health issues or financial issues. And then it would get to the point where eventually like you're taking that person's life. Um, so they kind of keep building on the, on them. And um, as, as you go through this, you have to send in proof. So they have mass servers where they keep all of the documented proof which usually is picture or video. Um, so, you know, even if this, if, if your quota is, you know, molesting or uh, participating in pornography that involves children or other things, there's going to be actual video or picture proof of that. So that's why they come in with the blackmail then is, is that these people have done all these things unconsciously. And then in the conscious world, you know, when they try to fight the system, the system will then present pictures and be like, do you want this to come out? And so that's how they get them, blackmail them. And and a lot of these people just have split, it's almost like a split personality then, right? And is that through the trauma that they've had to suffer through? They're splitting their personalities? Yep. That's literally part of the, that's the program is that it um, continuously splits that personality, you know, where they could have five or six or more. Um, and each of those events are caused by a specific trauma where the child, you know, usually it's younger in their life. Um, the trauma is what causes them to disassociate from that event. And they figure it out. It's like a science. They've just really figured it out. Yeah, that was, um, it really is. There's a lot of scientists who are involved um, or psychologists um, and it goes all the way back, you know, even before the time of, of the Nazis and Mangala. Mangala was the most famous that people are aware of um, for the experiments and in, in doing um, trauma to create that, those splits in people's minds. God, just incredible. Okay, where can people get more information about you? I know you're going to come back on again, I'm, and I'm so, we're so blessed to have you, so thank you so much. But where can people learn more about you and the work that you're doing? So you, you're doing just phenomenal work on this. Yeah, um, I encourage them to go to my website um, for me and my team, and that's um, illuminatethedarkness.com. And on there... Um, if you go to links and then find my name, um, all of my videos and material are there uh, for the public and are free. So um, you can go on there and see. And then we've got different things on our website um, that talks about the different projects that we're working on. Um, right now, we're really bringing out a lot about two different countries. Um, so we've been bringing out the stuff about the trafficking um, that's been going on in South Africa and um, the leadership that are involved in that, in that country. And then uh, we've also been doing a lot with the Netherlands right now. Um, that country has started to um, 
at the judicial and the uh, government level, um, they're really not uh, listening to any of the victims. So um, this week, um, just yesterday, actually, a bunch of the advocates and survivors gathered um, in a rally and were protesting laws that the government were making that basically were saying that they would not even hear or see um, any testimonies of anyone who claimed to be a satanic ritually abused victim. And even if that person had evidence, like they were telling, you know, basically saying that the courts would not even look at that. Yeah, um, so they're really ruling in favor. Yeah, they're ruling in favor of perpetrators. And their thing is, you know, they don't want perpetrators to be falsely accused which is great. None of us want anybody to be falsely exactly. accused, especially of such things. But but they're taking it to the extent where they're not even allowing victims to be heard, um, so that those things can be investigated. Um, so uh, we're really fighting with the Netherlands right now on those things. Well, that's so great. Thank you so much for doing this and for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it.